Wednesday, February 20th, 2013, episode number 38 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, published every Wednesday on footballnation.com and for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to the podcast in the iTunes store if you have yet to do so. The NFL offseason has already uh, gotten underway with teams releasing players and franchising players. Two big storylines have emerged, both in the AFC East over the past couple days with the franchise tag and with some rumored player movement, number one, Wes Welker, star wide receiver with the Patriots, not franchised for the second consecutive season. Some Pats fans seem to be eager for the Patriots to move on from Welker, given some of the big drops he's had in the postseason the past two years. But I say that growing sect of Patriots fans are taking Welker's historic production for granted, and you don't ever want to do that. The other big story to come out of the AFC East is Darrell Rivas, still under contract for one more year with the Jets, but he's upset at the Jets. And new GM John Idzik saying he feels slighted. He doesn't feel the loyalty. Well, I say, well, the Jets probably don't feel the loyalty either. Given the fact that Rivas has held out the past two years, uh, has held out twice already, and was rumored to do so last year, I'm not sure I can blame him. So we'll examine the Darrell Rivas situation and how the Jets should handle that this offseason. Second down segment, Forbes Magazine came out with an interesting report uh, over the past few days. Uh, Roger Goodell made close to $25 million in 2011. Two simple questions, but interesting ones nonetheless. Is Goodell worth that salary, close to $25 million, and is he a good commissioner? Third down segment, it's our big up slowdown segment, debating stories such as Manti Teo and his draftability. That's even a word, but I just made it a word because it's almost draft season. Woohoo! For all you draft nerds out there, the Combine is this week, and we'll go into the weekend. So talk a little about Manti Teo and whether or not he should be graded on his play or his hoax or a combination of both. The NFL has promoted Alberto Riviera to officiating director. I'll debate uh, possibly the biggest rule change Riviera may have to look at. No, it doesn't have to do with player safety for once. It has to do with pass interference. And Jay Cutler. Some articles written on Jay Cutler over the past few days. I saw a piece on Bleacher Report. That said, uh, Cutler is poised to be an MVP candidate for next season. What? Really? Is Jay Cutler even good? <laughs> we'll talk about that. Then, of course, we wrap up the show with the Reamer rant in the fourth down segment. Another NFL player gets in trouble for carrying a gun where he shouldn't carry one. Uh, can the NFL change? Should the NFL change? It's disciplinary policy to safeguard themselves against more issues like these. It's Football Nation Today, episode number 38. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back. So welcome back, Football Nation Today, episode number 38. As I said in the opening, the NFL offseason slowly getting underway. Player movement already underway. A lot of teams releasing players. Some of those big names, which we'll talk about in a few moments. Play, uh, teams franchising players, not franchising players, trade rumors swirling, so it is slowly but surely picking up a little bit 
across the league. Uh, number The first story I want to get to today is the Patriots and Wes Welker. Uh, the Patriots did not franchise Wes Welker this week, so that means Welker will hit the open market. And I think that was expected, given the fact that Welker was franchised last year. And if the Patriots were to franchise Welker this season, the franchise tag would be well north of $11 million. Just doesn't make any sense to do it that way. If I were the Patriots, I would use the franchise tag on Aqib Tlaib. As I think Tlaib on a one-year deal is something I would want. Tlaib on a multi-year deal, I'm not sure if I'm willing to invest in him like that at this point in time. But, look, the Patriots need cornerbacks, so that Tlaib did a fine job back there last season. So I would be in favor of franchising Tlaib, though it does get a bit pricey, but it's only a one-year commitment. I would try to sign Welker to a multi-year deal. Where would I go with Welker? I'd go three years, $30 million, ballpark, with, let's say, 15 to $17 million guaranteed. Something like that. And there's a growing sect of Patriots fans who would probably disagree with me. You know, they don't want the Patriots to re-sign Welker for a, to a costly multi-year deal. There's a growing sect of Patriots fans who want to see the team move on from Welker. And I understand that to an extent given the big drops he's had over the past few postseasons. In the Super Bowl two years ago against the Giants, and in this past season, the AFC Championship game, and that key third down in the third quarter against the Ravens. And let's also remember that a lot of fans like to play GM. You know, if the Patriots move on from Welker, it gets exciting for them. They can talk about how Aaron Hernandez is out in California working with Tom Brady this offseason, Slide Hernandez into the slot, get another guy besides Gronkowski. Julian Edelman can do all these different things in the offense now. Look at the free agent market. Who can we get on the cheap to maybe try to plug in and take 70% of Walker's production for, you know, 40% of the cost, and then get another guy to take 30% of Walker's production for 10% of the cost, and oh my god, we're just having a football splooge fest over here. Uh, really, <laughs> you may laugh at that, but it's true. I think a lot of fans, for whatever reason, like to play GM. And the fact, if the Patriots let Welker go, fans get to play GM. They get all excited. They get to search the waiver wire and try to sign guys to cheap deals, you know, low risk, high reward, and, and all, uh, all that stuff. So fans love playing GM. Football fans, any kind of fan. And if Welker leaves, you get to play GM if you're a Patriots fan. So that's exciting for a lot of people. And I really think that actually is why some people want to see Welker go. They want to play GM. And also the drops have to do with it as well. Uh, but I am here on Football Nation today, to throw some cold water on that excitement. Because I say yes, Welker has had some big drops the past two postseasons, both drops, in my opinion, inexcusable. But without Welker, I don't know if you would have been in those situations. Without Welker, I don't know if you would have been in a Super Bowl two years ago. Without Welker, I don't know if you would have been in the AFC title game this year with a lead in the third quarter. Let's keep in mind the production, and it's historic. Welker has caught over 100 passes in five of his six seasons with the Patriots. This past year, he had 118 receptions and six touchdowns. Six TDs for a slot receiver, not half bad. Now, yes, his drops have increased. He dropped more passes than ever last season, but the production is still there, and it is still at historic Hall of Fame levels. 118 receptions this past season. So it's a simple question. If Welker leaves, how are the Patriots going to replace his production? It can't be as simple 
as an offense centered around Rob Gronkowski, Aaron, Her Aaron Hernandez, and Julian Edelman. Because none of those guys have shown an ability to stay healthy. Not one of them. Hernandez is always banged up. Minor injuries, yes, but still banged up. Can't play the full 16 games. Edelman is always hurt. This is a distinct pattern with him now. He was hurt for the better part of last season. And Gronkowski has been hurt as well, entering the past two postseasons. And I think with those guys, it may be a given. Especially Gronkowski. With the way he plays, he might miss time every season. That might just be the way it is with how physically he plays on the field. I don't know if he can avoid missing time every year. So none of Gronkowski, Hernandez, or Edelman have shown any ability to stay healthy for the full regular season and full postseason. Welker is never hurt. Never, ever hurt. So it's not as simple as just replacing Welker with the two tight ends and Edelman. Because none of those guys have shown an ability to stay healthy. None of those guys can be counted on to stay healthy for a full season. And that's fine. The team can put up with that. Because the team also has Wes Welker, along with those guys. Welker's the ultimate safety blanket for this Patriots team. And also keep in mind this fact, as far as wide receiver goes. The Patriots haven't developed a wide receiver in the draft since they took Deion Branch in 2002. No, really. I'm not being hyperbolic here. It's true. The Patriots haven't developed a wide receiver for 10 years now. Let's go through who they've drafted at wide receiver since Deion Branch in 02. I'll just run through the list. Bethel Johnson. P.K. Sam, Chad Jackson, who they traded up to draft early in the second round, Matt Slater, who's developed into a terrific Pro Bowl caliber special teamer, but not a wide receiver, Brandon Tate, Julian Edelman, Taylor Price, Jeremy Ebert. Since Branch in 02, those are all of the wide receivers the Patriots have selected in the draft. Not one of them has even come close to panning out as a wide receiver. The most successful draft pick by far is Slater, and he's a special teamer, not a receiver. That is a woeful group. A lot of people, myself included, talk about the Patriots' inability to draft and develop cornerbacks over the past several years. Well, receiver is right up there with cornerback, and maybe it's even worse. I mean, that is a woeful, woeful group of players. Most of those guys aren't even in the league anymore. So how are you going to replace Welker? Can't count on to replace him with Gronkowski, Hernandez, and Edelman because none of those guys have shown an ability to stay healthy for the full season and postseason. Can't just draft a few guys and count on them to be productive because you haven't drafted a receiver since 2002. And oh, by the way, Tom Brady's been your quarterback that entire time. Amazing. They can't draft a wide receiver in today's NFL with Tom Brady as quarterback. Unbelievable when you think about it. A litany of veteran wide receivers have come in here and failed as well. From Joey Galloway to Chad Johnson. I mean, Brandon Lloyd was a rousing success last season in comparison to some of those duds 
the Patriots have brought in recently. My point is, don't take Wes Welker for granted. If he leaves, you have to replace a lot of his production. You won't be able to replace all of it, but you'll have to be able to replace some of it or most of it. And I don't know if the Patriots can do that. I don't know if they can. They haven't shown any ability to develop a wide receiver through the draft. And they haven't been able to successfully bring in a free agent wide receiver either. The most successful guy they've brought in is Brandon Lloyd. And some people are even talking about moving on from him this offseason. You don't want to say Tom Brady is in the twilight of his career, but he's certainly closer to the end than he is to the beginning. You have to surround Brady with the best weapons possible if you want to make a run at that fourth Super Bowl title. You cannot enter 2013 with like you did in 2006 with Rache Caldwell and Doug Gabriel and that group at wide receiver. You cannot afford to punt this season because the years you have left with Brady are precious. You've got to make the most out of them. And re-signing Wes Welker to a multi-year contract would be one way to make the most out of your remaining years with Brady. Do the deal. Three years, 30 million, 15 or so of that million guaranteed. Front load the contract if you want. I don't care. Find a way to bring Welker back. And if you say Welker has to go, fine. Welker has to go. Then tell me how you're replacing him. Patriots haven't shown an ability to draft a receiver, or really sign a competent receiver for the past several years. Is that going to change this offseason? I'm not sure. And I don't want to find out. You don't know what you have until it's gone. I think the same would apply for Welker if he was to leave. So count me in, the camp that wants the Patriots to re-sign Wes Welker. Farrell Rivas with the Jets, other side of the ball but still in the AFC East. Revis is under contract for one more season, and he is upset that he hasn't heard from the Jets about his status. New GM John Idzik had the gall to not call Revis on his first day on the job. Revis recently said this to the media, quote, I w- and I'm getting this off of ESPN.com, quote, I was speechless because I didn't get a phone call, Revis said. I know it's a business. Just call me. Don't have it lingering out there. I need answers, and I'm not getting any. Just the fact that that was put out there instead of contacting your best player on the team. If that's how you want to do business, then that's fine. Close quote. So Revis obviously upset that he hasn't been contacted by the Jets about his status, as he's constantly been mentioned in trade rumors. Now, it is worth mentioning, Idzik did eventually call Revis, and Revis acknowledges that later on, but obvious Revis is still upset that Idzik's first priority as GM, was not to call him and talk to him about his status. I understand that Darrell Rivas is upset at the poor communication with the Jets. He's the best player on the team. He's done a lot for that organization on the field. Rivas should be kept in the loop about his status. I agree with him. That's not right. Darrell Rivas deserves better. And that just further proof at what a poor operation the Jets are. Poor communication with their players. See that with a lot of bad organizations. The Jets living up to that thus far this offseason. But I don't blame the Jets 
for dangling Revis out there in trade rumors and leaving him to hang a little bit. Because Revis hasn't exactly been the most loyal guy to them either. He's already held out twice. And is rumored to be considering a holdout last season. A third holdout. He hasn't even been in the league that long. He only has one year left on his deal. If the Jets hold on to Revis, especially after this, he'll probably hold out this August. No doubt in my mind. The cap's not going to go up, so he may not get a new deal. He'll hold out for a third time. I've said this before, I'll say it again. If I were the Jets, I would trade Revis and not think twice about it. In my opinion, it's not even that tough a decision to make. You could get a lot for Darrell Revis, and I mean a lot. And you're not going to win with or without him next season. He's more valuable to another team than he is to you. Keeping Revis at this juncture would be completely misguided and be yet another sign that Woody Johnson and Jets' ownership doesn't get it and isn't about improving the football team for the long term. Sometimes in sports, you need to take a step back to take a couple of steps forward. And that's exactly what trading star cornerback Darrell Revis would be, taking a step back to take two or three steps forward. In today's NFL, the way to build a good defense is you start by stopping the pass. And nobody is better than stopping the pass on his side of the field than Revis is. The Sooners would line up out the proverbial door if the Jets made Revis available. And that's why the Jets should make Revis available. Put him on the trade market and trade him to the highest bidder. And don't think twice about it. It's not that tough a decision. You need to trade Revis to move your franchise forward. You're not going to win with or without him next season. You're going to be a mess either way. And I got news for you. If the Jets are sub-500 next season, back to Darrell Revis is playing cornerback, isn't going to cause asses to be in those seats. Isn't going to cause people to tune into the Jets. Not going to win you the back pages if the Giants are winning and you're losing. It's just not. There is no good reason in my mind for the Jets to keep Revis. Trade Revis and plug in some, and use him to try to plug in some of the other uh, millions of holes you have. He's more valuable to another team than he is to you. Not trading Revis would be foolish. And again, being indicative of the fact that Woody Johnson and the Jets' ownership may not be committed to building the best team on the football field long-term. So if Revis hit the market, he'd be a very interesting name. A lot of other interesting names going to hit the market this offseason. A couple already have on the defensive side of the football. Defensive end Dwight Freeney was released by the Colts last week, as was now safety Charles Woodson released by the Packers. Now, Freeney doesn't play the run anymore at all. So he's strictly strictly a guy who can only play on passing downs. But those two, Freeney and Woodson, would be nice signings for a defense that's looking to plug in a few veterans. Admittedly, I didn't see a lot of Woodson at safety last year. But as I learned by watching the Super Bowl with the Ravens and 49ers, a really strong pass defense is almost more about the safety than it is about the cornerbacks. The Ravens and 49ers, if you look at their roster, both have okay safeties, but not great safeties. The strength in their secondaries are the safeties, with Bernard Pollard and Ed Reed, if you're the Ravens, or Dante Whitner and Deshaun Goldson, if you're the Niners. Goldson and Reed's contracts are both up. Interested to see what happens with those two guys. 
And the key to defense and football, as we said, stopping the pass. Well, how do you stop the pass? You stop it by, yes, having a strong secondary, but also by having strong defensive ends who can get to the passer. And Freeney, at 33 years of age, when put in the right situation, can still get to the passer with the best of them. He's more of a situational guy now, not an every-down defensive lineman. A real specialized guy at this stage in his career, but useful to a lot of teams. So I'd expect both of those guys, Freeney and Woodson, both recently released, to not be out of a job for long. They will be highly coveted this offseason, given especially the direction defense is headed in. Stopping the pass, paramount. Everything else, secondary. Moving on to the second down segment, it's where we take a look at the biggest off-field NFL story of the past week. A few different ways we can go here, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Roger Goodell. According to Forbes magazine, Goodell made $24.49 million in 2011. For comparison's sake, Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig made $20 million in 2011. So, I don't have a problem with Goodell's pay. Yes, the NFL is a nonprofit enterprise, but it's a nonprofit that brings in $9.5 billion in revenue. So, you know, I mean, Goodell can't get equity in the way most CEOs can, so his pay has to make up for it. And whether you like it or not, that's a typical salary for a CEO of a large corporation in today's America, $20, 25000000 million. So I don't have a problem with Goodell's salary. To me, the more interesting question is, is, has Goodell been a good commissioner? To me, for the owners, for the owners, he's been a great commissioner. I mean, he got the players to agree to the latest collective bargaining agreement in which they gave back money to the owners, even though the league is swimming in revenues, close to $10 billion of revenue. And, but I just can't get behind that. Because I think a lot of these NFL owners are modern-day robber barons. They will go to the mat over every last nickel, as seen with the referee negotiations last year. That was absurd. Putting replacement referees out there for three weeks. Why? Referee pensions. Come on, talk about small potatoes, right? I mean, subjecting us as NFL fans and viewers to replacement referees for three weeks to go to the mat over referee pensions, to me, was such a slap in the face and such a sign that most of these owners take you, the fan, for granted. And that's fine. They have a product you want to see. I believe the comparison I made last fall is they're, they're the drug dealer. They got the drugs. They got the good stuff. And you're an addict. You want it. You need it. So you come crawling back after a lockout, after three weeks of replacement referees. And that's fine. That's America. You got the product. People want the product. You can do what you want. And I came right back, too. I'm not saying I'm above it all. I'm not above the fray. I'm right there with you. These owners will go to that over a nickel, and I just can't get behind that. But Goodell is behind that. Goodell perpetuates a lot of that. And obviously, the owners approve of Goodell. Or they wouldn't approve his high salary of nearly $25 million in 2011. But if you were to ask me, Alex, is Roger Goodell a good commissioner for the league? 
not just for the owners. He's a great commissioner for the owners, but for the league. I would say no. Now, I understand Goodell works for the owners, just like the head of the players' union works for the players' union. And Goodell is always going to take the owner's side of things. But I think the position of commissioner is a bit more nuanced than that. Because you are the commissioner of the NFL, not just the head of the owners. So, yes, you're there to battle with the players' union, to take on the head of the players' union. Whose only responsibility are his clients, the players. I understand that. But still, Roger Goodell or any other commissioner in sports is commissioner of the league, not just commissioner of the owners. So you also have to have the best interests of the league in mind, not just the owners. And I don't think Goodell does. He hasn't led on player safety. He's implemented changes like a lawyer would implement changes with the lawsuit pending. But the NFL and Goodell didn't make a change on player safety until they absolutely had to. And granted, it's a tough spot to be in. I've said it many times before. I don't know what else the league can do in terms of rule changes unless they literally put flags on the guys. But still, you listen to people talk around the league, and that's where I get a lot of my stuff from. A lot of people still feel Goodell is disingenuous on a lot of this player safety stuff. And he was very, very slow to act on it. So there's that. And there's also the time that I just think he spends time on silly things. And we'll talk about this more in the fourth down segment, the Reamer rant, when we talk about players bringing guns to places where they shouldn't bring guns, another arrest this week. But, you know, he fines players thousands of dollars for wearing the wrong color socks. He fines players thousands of dollars for wearing the socks too low or too high. In that league more than ever, it's an us versus them mentality, players versus owners. Players versus the front office. And Goodell does a lot to perpetuate that. I don't think Goodell has done one thing that isn't undoubtedly great for the owners. Really, I don't. I don't think he's done one thing that isn't undoubtedly a big win for the owners. Everything he does is for the owners. Nothing for the players. Nothing for the greater good of the entire league. You look at the NFL and overexpansion. The time is going to come when the NFL overexpands. It always happens. You get too big. It may already be happening with Thursday Night Football. Thursday Night Football has been a flop. It's gotten the NFL Network into more homes. And that's a plus. And that's obviously a plus that cannot be overlooked. But I would argue that would have happened anyway. With how high, with how, uh, high demand NFL product is these days. The high demand out there for it. I think that would have happened anyway. Thursday night football is never a good game. It is not must-watch television. And I watch every NFL game I can. I watch every Sunday. I watch most Monday nights. Sunday night, every night. Thursday night football, though? Meh. I'm content to miss it. Almost every week. I never feel compelled to watch it. So, it may already be happening with Thursday night football. And here talks about the 18-game regular season. Doesn't look like that will ever happen with the players, but now more games in Europe. A day is going to come when the NFL overexpands. And a good commissioner, like a good commissioner, would be able to look at that and say to the owners, yes, I understand you want to expand the revenue. And the only way to expand the revenue is to expand the product. But if we expand the revenue, though you may see some short-term games, gains, excuse me, the league will be hurt in the long term. And it's not the best for the product on the field to have teams flying back and forth to Europe. 
to have the Thursday night game. The away team never wins those games. Why? Because it's a really short week for them. That's why. Never see a good game on that Thursday night. The product suffers. Fans watch a subpar product. Why? Because the owners want to expand the product because expansion of product means expansion of revenue. That's the next... Besides player safety, the next thing on Goodell's plate is battling the overexpansion of the NFL. And I don't have faith for uh, in Goodell to fight that fight. I just think he'll do whatever the owners want, which is more product. And more product, though it may mean more revenue in the short term, does not mean a better product. And a worse product, of course, means less... Uh, and, a, and a worse product, of course, means uh, less long-term revenue because people inevitably stop watching and because it won't be as good a product. So the owners love Goodell, and Roger Goodell has been a great commissioner for the owners. But has he been a great commissioner or even a good commissioner for everybody else, fans, players? No, I don't think he has. Not at all. Which is why I wouldn't categorize Goodell as a good one. Third down segment, it's the Big Up Slowdown segment. I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying Big Up or Slow Down. Topic numero uno. The NFL Combine is this week. As I said last week on the show in the Reamer rant, I will not be watching a second of it. But if you're out there watching it, I hope you enjoy it. Former Notre Dame linebacker Manti Teo is entering the draft this year. He'll be around this weekend, and he said this week he wants to be graded on his play, not his hoax. Big up or slow down, is it possible to separate the two? At this point in time, given what we know about the hoax, I say big up. It is possible to separate the two. Because given what we know, Teo wasn't involved in the hoax. He was duped. Which shows how stupid he is, and not to... Do a Teo joke, because those are so overplayed. I mean, that's that's the epitome of hacky comedy, a Teo joke. I mean, read read McRiley's Twitter feed. It's littered with Teo jokes. It says all you need to know about how hacky a Teo joke is. But, <laughs> I, I just don't understand it. How you could be a star linebacker at Notre Dame and spend hours upon hours on the phone with a girl who you've never met, and as it turns out, a girl who wasn't even real. I, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. I can't even wrap my head, and I'm 20. I'm Teo's age. I'm in the social media. I get technology. I understand the internet. I'm not one of these old fogies. But I don't understand how you can call someone who you've never met your girlfriend. I just can't fathom that. So, it's still very weird to me. It will forever be weird to me, and I will never understand it. But given what we know about the case... Teo wasn't involved in the hoax. He was just duped. Because if Teo was involved in the hoax, I think it would have to affect his draft prospects. Because teams would say, why did he do it? Is he, is he a narcissist? You know, did he want more attention for the Heisman? And is he, was he willing to go to such diabolical lengths to uh, make up a story about a fake dead girlfriend to get more sympathy and perpetuate his Heisman candidacy? If Teo was involved in the hoax then there would be a lot of questions about his character. But it seems as if he was just duped. So it's stupid, and I'll never understand it, and uh, I feel bad for him when training camp comes around, I can tell you that, and how kind some of the veterans will be to him. But if he can play, he can play. That's all that matters. So yes, 
given what you know about the case, Natea wasn't involved in the hoax. He was just a victim. I think you can separate the two, and I think teams will. Big up. Now, the NFL has promoted a man by the name of Alberto Rivieron to officiating director. Now, we talk about player safety, concussion prevention, hits with the helmet, all that. And that's the number one thing any officiating director from here until the end of time is going to have to deal with. But the other thing people are talking about is the pass interference rule. There was some talk last week about changing the pass interference rule to an automatic 15-yard penalty unless the officials determine it was intentional, and then the ball would be placed at the spot of the foul, like it is now. Big up or slow down, do I like that, pro do I like that proposal? Do I like the 15-yard penalty unless the officials determine it was intentional? Big up or slow down, I say slow down. Yes, you may be surprised, but I don't like that rule change. I don't like the current pass interference rule. I don't think anybody does. It's such a judgment call. And it's ridiculous that such a judgment call can have such a big impact on the game. But this rule, some are proposing, puts even more subjectivity into it. As now referees would be asked to determine what is and isn't intentional. How the hell do you determine that? Really, in a split second, how do you determine intent? That, to me, is impossible. The current rule is bad. It's a flawed rule, and they have to find a way to alter it. But they haven't altered it yet because I don't, I don't know how you do it. You can't just make it an automatic 15-yard penalty across the board because then obviously teams would intentionally commit pass interference on Long Hill Mary routes. So, yeah, I get that. And this seems to be a clever way to get around it. But then you have referees determining intent. That puts even more subjectivity into it. So, I'm uncomfortable with that rule. I am. And I understand it's a flawed rule as it stands now. But I just don't see a surefire way to improve it at this point in time. Final question. Bit more of a fun one. But I read an article on Bleacher Report, and I know, Bleacher Report. But, still, get a lot of views. A partner at CNN now. Our man, forget his name, but he wrote an article this week about how Jay Cutler could be an MVP candidate next season. Prompted me to put this in the show. Big up or slow down. Is Jay Cutler even a good quarterback? Never mind MVP. Is he even good? My answer? Slow the hell down. Now, as a starter, let's give you the other side of it. Jay Cutler has finished above 500 every year but once in his career. His career record is 51 and 42. Not too shabby. But in a season in which he started 15 games or more, he's never thrown less than 14 interceptions. He's never had a completion percentage higher than 63.6. And over the past two seasons, he's had a completion percentage lower than 60. That is bad. Real bad for a modern-day NFL quarterback. If you're not completing 60 to 65% of your passes, you suck. And to be at 63.6 is far from elite, my friend. 
far from it. And that's Cutler's career high. And he's been below 60 the past two seasons. He was at 58 last year. And as we learned three years ago, in that NFC title game, Packers-Bears, when Cutler took himself out of the game due to injury, players around the league were questioning Cutler's commitment on Twitter. And that, to me, is one of the biggest indictments of all. Who cares what the media says? Who cares what the fans say? How about what your peers say? And Cutler's peers, as evidenced by them criticizing him on Twitter three years ago in the NFC title game, don't have a lot of respect for him as a competitor, as a teammate. And that, to me, is a huge indictment on Jay Cutler. And frankly, I just think Cutler's a dumbass. Sorry to be blunt about it, but I do. I think he's a dumbass. I don't think you'll ever win with Jay Cutler. I don't think Jay Cutler can lead your team up and down the field for the full 60 minutes. I just don't. And his track record thus far has proven me to be correct. So no, Cutler, no, not an MVP candidate. I don't even think he's good. Slow down on that one. Closing up the show with the fourth down segment. It's the Reamer rant. Taking a look this week at another NFL player with a gun where he shouldn't have a gun. Tampa Bay defensive back Daquan Bowers was arrested this week after a handgun was found in his luggage at LaGuardia Airport in New York. Now, the specifics of the case are still fuzzy, but one thing is for sure. And that thing is that uh, Bowers had a handgun in his luggage. My question is, why are you bringing a handgun in your luggage? Why? Now, I understand why an NFL player would maybe feel the need to carry a gun. Without getting into the politics of it, I know it's especially a, uh, uh, a, uh, a, a heated issue these days. I am a supporter of Second Amendment, Amendment rights, I believe. We have the right to protect ourselves if we feel that is necessary. Not with... Uh, you know, military-style weapons, but with a handgun, fine. I totally understand why some feel that's necessary, especially those in the public light. And I totally understand why an NFL player like Bowers may feel the need to carry a gun. I don't know what his past is like. I don't know who he's crossed paths with. I don't want to get into that. That's his right as an American with the Second Amendment. Just my issue here is why is he bringing a handgun to the airport? Why is he bringing it in his luggage, unauthorized? Doesn't he know you can't do that? He's surely been on planes before. He plays in the NFL. And I know the league has a rookie symposium in training camp, and I'm sure guns are discussed. But this kind of stuff, look at it this offseason. From now until training camp starts in late July, Countless numbers of these stories will come out. Countless numbers of them. This kind of stuff happens all of the time across the league. It hasn't gotten better. And to go back to Roger Goodell, the league needs to start focusing on disciplining, on, on disciplining players about this kind of stuff. You know, stop finding guys for wearing their socks too high or too low and start finding them in, discipline, in disciplining them for these kinds of transgressions. Put the discipline here. Take it away from how you wear your uniform or your socks. All right, you dress before a game. Put the discipline here. 
guns where you shouldn't have guns, drunk driving, on and on the list goes. The NFL needs to revamp its discipline policy. As I said, Goodell is focused on things that simply are not important. This kind of stuff is real important, and this kind of stuff can be life-threatening. The league this offseason needs to take a better look at how they discipline these kind of transgressions, serious transgressions, with the law, instead of how a player wears his uniform. This is the new leaf the NFL has to turn over. We talk a lot about player safety, and those discussions are warranted. But these kind of discussions are warranted too. And as more stories like this prop up, it's just more evidence that we have to start having these kind of discussions. How is the NFL going to change its discipline policy to prevent more stuff like this happening? Because it happens time and time again, and it is not getting better. Listening to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast. As always, if you have a comment on the show, feel free to leave a comment on the show page on footballnation.com. We appreciate all of your support. As always, feel free to send me an email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address. And also hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at AlexReamer1. Cheap plug for myself, my Red Sox podcast without a curse. We are fully underway. We are in the midst of our six-week process of previewing the 2013 Major League Baseball season, we preview a different division each week with a guest. Last week was the AL East with Scott Lauber of the Boston Herald. This week is the AL Central with a guest to be named later. So stay tuned for that. Baseball season, not all that far away. Spring training totally underway. Very exciting for people like myself who have spring fever. And it's not even March yet. How about that? But so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. As always, we so we appreciate your listenership. And I'll talk to you next on Football Nation today, next Wednesday.